it just seems unbelievable that we did everything by phone calls and faxes and letters. And oh my God, it's amazing anything <laughs> got done. But it did. You know, we've survived actually for millennia that way. Welcome to Events Demystified Podcast, where we explore and demystify the world of in-person, virtual, hybrid event AV production and technology by sharing insightful tips, tricks and tactics to make your events a success. This podcast is brought to you by TreeFan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency. And your host is Anka Trafan, a technical event planner and producer with almost two decades of hands-on technical experience in event production. Welcome to another episode of Events Demystify Podcast, your one-shop stop for tangible technical and planning advice for anyone in the events industry. Today's episode is sponsored by Trifan Events, and I am your host, Anka Trifan. On the show with me today, I have one of my most favorite event professionals and authors, Tahira Indeen, the author of Intentional... Event design, a 100% event nerd, a lifelong learner that started her master's after 50. And true story, okay, a few years back, I was cleaning my office, deep cleaning, which pretty much took the entire day. And I started listening to a brand new podcast, Meeting Minds. It was brand new at the time. That was hosted at the time by Charles Ide. And Charles was interviewing this event professional, which it was the first time that I came to hear about. And during this particular episode, I basically fell in love with Tahira and everything that she had to say about events and intentional event design. She was talking about her book at the time. I literally just ran online and bought it. I have it. I read it. I make notes on it. You should get it. And anyway, all that to say, I am super stoked, super, super excited to have this conversation. I'm like full of giggles and you're just going to have have to go with it because this is an amazing human that I'm going to have a conversation about events. And one thing that's exciting about Tahira is that she's currently the head of program at IMAX. And I know you're going to hear more about this by the time this episode airs. She's a curious event producer, passionate about intentional event design in live, virtual, and hybrid event formats, and how we can use technology to enhance the human experience, not just for events, but basically in everyday life. She's a believer in lifelong learning. She is midway through her master's of science in creativity and change leadership. She's driven by a fascination with what we are learning about neuroscience and the power of the five senses to enhance memory, knowledge retention, and improve connections. And she is continually seeking ways in which she can design the most relevant incentive meeting and event environment. She has her many certifications which you can learn more about in the episode notes. She's been recognized by the event industry for a range of contributions which only speaks about her passion and commitment to the industry and all of those things will be listed in the episode notes so make sure that you check that out. She's an instructor driven by a fascination with what we are learning and how can we use neuroscience to enhance and to make sure that what 
we're experiencing is also true to science. So all that to say, I mean, there's a lot of things to say about Tahira. She loves travel, cooking, time with family, and anything with bubbles. But what I would love to do most right now is just have her be part of our conversation so that you can find out for yourself how badass she is. And for all the other links and all the things in which you can connect with her, you can find that out in the episode notes. So let's bring her in. Hello, welcome to Events Demystified Podcast. I hear what a amazing time and for me experience. I mean, it's one of like bucket list things to have you with me today. So nice. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for accepting the invitation. So first thing first, one, I want to know if I'm even saying your name correctly. Yes. I've been saying it a few times and I know <laughs> you've always said, hey, everybody mispronounces my name. I can definitely relate to that. So at this point, I'm like, I don't know if I asked Tahira if that's how you say your name <laughs> or how do people usually mispronounce your name? Let's to get that out of the way. I have some like favorites. So one is like to horror. Um, sometimes people think in emails, I'm a Japanese man, so I'll get to hear a sand so there's all kinds of different things and if you were my turkish aunt you would say so (laughs) i love it well i'm glad that i nailed it even though i'm like i should have asked like usually when i'm confused or not sure like i will (laughs) ask but i'm like totally skipped through that part i'm like oh gosh i'm definitely not sure about this one so how about to give you a little bit of time to maybe what i'm curious the most is you know and our listeners i'm pretty sure they would love to know is who you are behind closed doors who's tahira behind closed doors and what drives you in all this learning journey and growing and just the contribution that you've had over the years to the event industry what's the driver behind all of that that's such a big question. So behind closed doors, I'm exactly the same as I am when I'm out in the world. I'm probably just wearing more comfortable clothes. So <laughs> I definitely do not have like a secret way about me. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm basically I'm completely straight up about whatever's happening. And I'm like that with my children who are now adults and with my family, friends, husband, people in the world. It's all the same. So behind closed doors, I spend a lot of time behind closed doors in this little teeny tiny office that I'm in right now. Uh, when I'm at home, I also have spent a lot of time traveling. So I spend about 50% of my time right now traveling, which sounds crazy when we've just come out of a pandemic. But I think I've just gotten off my 32nd flight since last August. Oh my goodness. So my closed doors have been in ballrooms and in hotel rooms and train doors and airplane doors. So yeah, it's been, there's been lots of still just going out there. And what drives me is that it's never boring. You know, there's always something that is going to be different. And that's what's so great about events. I've had a lot of different roles in the industry. And it's partly because, you know, as part of our, my master's program I'm doing right now, we're having to analyze that who we are and go do all these personality assessments and Mm -hmm. traits and what drives us and what drives me is that it's really made me think about it is we have this amazing world that we live in and it's full of humans and humans like to connect and there's so many different ways of doing that and right now I think you know we everyone keep hearing well we're coming out of the pandemic and we need to be doing things differently but a nobody can define what differently is and b we have 100% gone back to doing things exactly the way we did them before so only now we're 
you know, sitting a little farther apart sometimes. I mean, that's really fundamentally what I can see is the only difference. We might be doing more things on our phones than we were doing before, but we haven't really changed how we're meeting or how we're bringing people together. So figuring that out and figuring out again, what is going to be the, why do we meet? And then what's the best way for us to do that to accomplish our goals is going to continue to drive me. So in so many ways, in so many words, we are creatures of habit. So if we've done things one way for like whatever, how many years, snapping right back into that pattern, it's not so hard after even a global pandemic. (laughs) You think we'd remember some things and be like, oh, so remember that one time when during the two years we've done things differently? How about we apply some of those lessons learned to the way we do events now? Sounds like that's probably not really what's happening when you've got boots on the ground in reality. No, and some some things we were already doing well, so let's just keep doing those and then let's figure out how to do the other things in a, in a way that's maybe more conducive to human interaction. Absolutely. Can you dive a little bit more, I guess, in your journey as an event producer and how it's developed and changed over the years? And especially during the time when we were all at home in our offices, as you said, you know, we all work from our little spaces. And now that basically you have all these in-person events that have taken your schedule by storm and you're on the road so much, how has all of that changed and how have you navigated that change? Ooh, so I think, you know, we went from, you know, if we, if we go back to, you know, just pre-pandemic, so if we, let's go, let's, just for fun, let's go way back to the way back. Okay. So when I first started, literally, we were using DOS-based programs in, on our computers. Nobody even knows what that means anymore. There was no windows. There was no, you couldn't have things open. You could open one thing at a time and then close it and then do, like you even imagine. And there was no email actually when I first started, which doesn't also doesn't make any sense. And when registrations came in, they came rolling across the floor on from the fax machine. And then we would have to cut them and then manually process every payment, every registration. So things just took a lot longer. So you also had more time for things and you also plan things further out. So if you were planning a large medical conference that was an annual conference, you planned it starting from a year or two out. You didn't start planning it two weeks out like we're doing right now. And when you think about it, that was like about 30 years ago. It's not 100 years ago. It sounds like it was 100 years ago, (laughs) but it's not. And so now when you think about just how much things have changed, you know, so we've had some really big fundamental shifts. So a fundamental shift was smartphones. You know, as soon as we had we well, first doing... email. Let's go well, to AOL email. Yeah. email. <laughs> it was only on my boss's computer and she didn't like to open it. So we would have to wait till she left the because office. Because you take forever for the dial-up to actually happen. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But we would have to wait until she left the office to check the email because she wanted to have the email on her computer, but she didn't want to have to do anything with it. That's and we couldn't all have email yet because we didn't know how to do it. It just wasn't a thing yet. So it just seems unbelievable that we did everything by phone calls and faxes and letters. And oh, my God, it's amazing. Anything <laughs> got done. But it did. You know, we've survived actually for millennia that way. So and in fact, this is just a little this is completely off topic. But the word trivia, because I'm a total trivia nerd. Do you know where the word trivia comes from? No, but I want to look. I want right to now you want to know. So that <laughs> stands for trivia. And so which was in ancient Roman times, they would put up signposts where three roads would meet or where mm. roads would cross. And yeah, so yeah. literally three roads. And they would put all the news, handwritten news would be on that signpost. 
So that is where trivia comes from. So, <laughs> so basically, you would get your news at a crossroad. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> it, it's actually super, like from a human perspective, super smart. Yeah, if they're going to go this way. They can read the news and then they can telephone it out to the world, so it's all wrong, just like now. Only now we do it a lot faster. Yeah. So now we just do it on our smartphones and we can telephone out bad information over and over and over again. So tag everybody that we know. And so, you know, so our but a big fundamental shift in events was really having smartphones because it meant that that access to digital, that access to virtual and hybrid mobile apps, all of those things that started to develop, which are now how we connect, yeah. um, are just need to be baked into all of our planning from all of the marketing that we do to the program planning to the on-site design now needs to just realize that everybody's sitting there with a phone and we can use that to our advantage, but we can also, it can also be a disadvantage if we're not figuring out how to connect humans with other humans when we're together, you know, and oftentimes even we'll do virtual events and we still haven't figured out how to even get people to pay attention to a virtual event because we'll say, here, do your virtual event, but make sure that you also have your device on hand so that you can answer all the polls and the questions. And so, and I probably have something going on in my house. Maybe my puppy needs out. Maybe my, you know, kid is asking for something. Maybe I'm just distracted because I need to change the laundry yeah. over. And now I also have these two devices that I need to be on. And I'm probably watching something here, looking at my phone. I probably have another monitor over here. So we still haven't figured out how do we actually, you know, we put all these little tools in, but we don't really think about what does that, is it enhancing the experience or is it just making us more distracted? So there's just a lot of things to think about as we look at what those shifts are, you know, and then if I look at sort of the shifts I've had, you know, I started out as a PCO. So working doing, I did a lot of medical meetings. So if you need to know about dermatology, herpes, viruses, or AIDS, I, you know, I'm pretty connected to those subjects. It's been almost, it's been eight years um, working with the world leaders in that space. I just recently did a seminar myself of like several medical high whatever, you know, tests on a lot of the epidome and epidome and all those things that I'm like, those are words that I love to Google one day. So I understand what I'm doing. <laughs> right. You know, and it used to be, and we'd have to do everything. You'd have to make slides for everything. And every slide would, a slide could cost $200 to get a slide made. And you oh can never change goodness. that information. And, you know, then 1998, I remember sitting and with a doctor at the back of the room making his first, for the first time we'd seen PowerPoint, he's like, okay, I'm ready to present. Well, we had slide carousels. We didn't have any way to project what he had. And a slide carousel was, carousel was $35 and a data projector, if we could even find one, was $700. Like that was kind of a little budget hit you had to, yeah. you know, now we just take PowerPoint so for granted. So, you know, so we've had these like shifts that have happened sort of over time. Now PowerPoint's like, PowerPoint, here we still I know, now we're so tired of PowerPoint that it's like with that by, you know, a thousand yeah. slides. <laughs> it has its place, but then, so what have we replaced it with? We've just replaced it with a different way of showing slides in most cases. So it's like, oh, here we go. So, you know, it's kind of one of those fundamental things, you know, and then I moved from that into sort of the more creative side of the industry and doing, working with a destination management company. So really focused on creating epic experiences in our own destination, in our own backyard, which is super fun to do. And it's sort of over that time, I really just became known as the person who like, was it impossible? Excellent. Call to hear us. So, 
which gave me the opportunity to just do, let's go to the top of a glacier. Okay, how do we do that? Okay, let's figure that out. Let's go and open up a port that's, you know, in the middle of nowhere, like literally only accessible by train or boat. <laughs> um, let's amazing. do that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's been fun to get to do what yeah. we, what we do and to bring together the groups of people that you get to do it with. And, you know, event people and hotel people and all, you know, they're all a little bit magic because we have to take something and every day take a blank box and make it something that's a new experience. And how cool is that actually when you think about it? That's what keeps me interested in what we're doing, right? So, and I think the real magic it's in the collaboration process because you could have 100%. all these event professionals in one room, but if they're not willing to collaborate and come up with a solution to this one problem, if there's a problem or to this one, you know, as you mentioned, yeah. that experience probably has so many logistical nightmares that you have to navigate through to get to the end of it, to experience it in the first place. And if you don't have all this collaborative creativity, put in and somebody's better at this or better at the other thing you know it, all of that I feel like a, it would be lost without that magic happening right there and then and I think a little bit of the virtual event that what that took away from us is being in a room and brainstorming and now we have to figure out how while virtual has brought also the uh, possibility to have someone from a different part of the world be part of that space and bring their ideas and we have to figure out how do we navigate this where we're still back in the room, but now are more inclusive and give accessibility to someone across the world to be able to partake into this conversation. And which is, the, and that, that is the cool thing about virtual or being able to have live events with, you know, virtual components, hybrid, but is that ability for people who, where it's not easy to travel maybe, and that could be for any number, there's such a list of reasons you can't travel. You, you might be scared of traveling, yeah. right? Your family might not allow, your family commitments, your work commitments might not allow you to travel let alone if you have any kind of physical challenge where it makes it travel just impossible. Or, you know, even if, you know, one of the other things we're not really good at in live events is, and this is like my, I just don't understand why we do this endlessly, but every time that you go to a networking event, it's a networking event, but we have to have loud music. Do we? Because now I can't talk. And if you get anybody who has the smallest amount of hearing loss, it's the most unenjoyable experience. Now, when we had that, and then you also had to wear a mask. So now somebody who might've relied on being able to lip read a bit, all of those tools are gone. You might as well get your content virtually because it's actually going to be a much more enjoyable experience yeah. than trying to navigate. I can't hear you, <laughs> you know? So I think it's, there's just things that we're just not, some fundamental things that we, we kind of lean towards the cool and take away the practical. So it's what's that balance between those two things, I think is also a big part of what we need to you know, go back to being good at. Absolutely. Now, uh, segue into your book, because we mentioned it a few times, Intentional Event Design, which in my opinion, it has become in so many ways, you know, almost like a textbook for so many event professionals since it came out in 2017, I believe. And my curiosity to that is what drove you to write it in the first place? Is there a story behind a book, like oh, any juicy, terrible event design experience that made no. you sort of like throw your hands in the air and be like, oh my gosh, there must be 
a better way. People must know about it. <laughs> there must be a better way. So I write, I haven't written very much in the last few years because I was very busy. But, you know, I wrote a lot, a lot of blog posts, a lot of things for other people. And one day I was looking for something. I couldn't find it. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I should just really just write a book about the things I think are important in events. Very self-serving, basically, of the, you know, what do I think matters? You know, sustainability and wellness and thinking intentionally and working with purpose. And, you know, so I <laughs> pulled together, somebody said, well, that's a really good idea, but you know, you have to have 50,000 words to write a book. And I was like, okay, like whatever that means, I don't even know what 50,000 <laughs> words is. So <laughs> I pulled together everything that I'd written in two years and I dropped it. This is how not to write a book. And I dropped it into one word document and I was like, oh, I have 80,000 words done. Check. <laughs> No. Uh, obviously, no, you to can't. To any brand that. new author looking to write a book, just follow the process and eventually <laughs> you'll get it. <laughs> anything that you've ever done and just make that a nice, no, don't, don't do that. And then, so I, that is actually how I started. And then I took out all the stuff I didn't want to become an expert speaker on like the things that I wasn't really passionate about. So all of the things I'd written about mobile apps, because I, I was working, I'd worked for quick mobile for a year and a half and now it's event. And then I took out all of the things about sustainability. Cause I thought, good God, are we not doing this yet? And there's lots of really smart people who are, who truly are experts with masters in environmental studies who are working in the event space, who I want to hear from them because I, I do it from a very practical standpoint, but they do it from a much greater knowledge base. And so I wanted, didn't want to talk about that too much. And so I took out all of those things and then I sort of organized into the things of what I was thinking. And then I sent it to a very honest friend of mine who's a very good writer and also from the event space. So we went to event management school together um, a million years ago. And so she read it and then she's like, it's really good information she said but it's like your brain just dumped it on paper and it's just too intense like you have to put more stories into it and make it like a little more and then I was like okay like that's that's good advice and so that's what I did is I went back and reorganized it and put it into the seven intentions and you know those are thinking about event design, think about how you integrate technology. And again, I didn't want to talk about specific platforms. So it's literally AI to wearables. And then really looking at your brain comes to an event. So when we talk about neuroscience, you know, people are like, I remember a point in time where somebody said, we're not going to talk about brains anymore. And I was like, did we stop using them? Like people stop coming to events with them? Like Exactly. Like, uh, the, did okay. your brain leave your head? Right. Like we can stop talking about them, but it's not really going to change the fact we all have them. So I wanted to talk about that and to make neuroscience really small and digestible. And just to, for people to understand that we actually come with some very fundamental things that we can't change, but we can affect and we can affect them very effectively to create a better experience for people and to create a more memorable experience for people. And then really looking at sort of the environments of space and seating design and, and then virtual and hybrid, you know, so I went back over Christmas this year, my entire bubble had COVID except for me. So I was bored. <laughs> I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And then I was like, I should probably open my book and I'm probably going to have to rewrite the whole thing because it's going to suck. And it's going to be like, it won't be relevant anymore. We've been through COVID and, and I'm usually a pretty Canadian girl, but 
about, you know, oh, it's, it's a good book. It's okay. And so, but I went back and had to reread the whole thing again and really started to look at it. And I added eight pages of 2022 bullets of things that we needed to think about a little bit differently mm-hmm. since 2022, but that's all. Otherwise I found spelling mistakes and, you know, things like that, but I didn't fundamentally change it. I just added in some things and I was like, you know what, this is actually a really good, useful, relevant book. And that had been underscored for me earlier in the year by, you know, when you say it's, you know, it's kind of a textbook, it actually is a textbook. And I can see when schools are using it because I get a little bump (laughs) in royalties, which is awesome. But yeah. So is there going to be an extended edition coming out soon with those extra pages? There's a very, there is. So it's out actually. So the Amazon has the the updated version now. So it's like I said, not a lot different, just a little different, just a little, a little more thoughtful about 2022. But I'd already talked about all of the things that everybody's like, oh, we need to be talking about sustainability. Well, we already did that. We need to be talking about wellness. Well, that's the final chapter. Uh, We need to be talking about how we do better digital and virtual events. Well, that was already there. So (laughs) I was like, okay, so we kind of like, you know, I I didn't really feel like I was that ahead of my time, but maybe I was a little ahead of the time of what we were talking about. But now it is, it's still really relevant. And I had a call last, the reason I'm doing my master's program right now is because Richard Aaron, who was the founder of BizBash and for me, a complete 100% icon who I didn't really know. I knew, I, I, you know, I knew his business partner, David Adler quite well, but I didn't know Richard. And he called me to thank me for writing the most prescient book on event design he was using to teach at NYU. So that was, uh, first of all, the most amazing phone call you can ever get in your entire life. And then he, um, then I had to go look up the word prescient because I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good word. But what I realized at that moment in time was that here was my my book being used as a textbook and I couldn't teach at that university because I don't have a master's. So I was like, I'm going to get a master's. So I decided yeah. in that minute, I'm going to go get a master's. And then I looked at, you know, event management master's programs, the logical choice. And I realized pretty quickly that as amazing as those programs are, there's some really good programs out there. I know too much. And it wouldn't be interesting for me because I would be learning what I do every day. Exactly. And so then I gave up the dream about three hours later. And then the next day, (laughs) uh, my friend Kevin Molesworth had posted on his, he's got a really great Facebook group that is Creativity Safe Spaces. Mm-hmm. And there's like more than a thousand members in it. It's super cool. And he's always, and he keeps it very active and it's looks looking at creativity from definitely from an event perspective, but also lots of different ways and divergent thinking and really, you know, and he's such a fun, interesting brain to talk to. And he had just been accepted into a program that is at SUNY Buffalo State, which is a master's of science in creativity mm-hmm. and change leadership. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Now, zero idea that what that would even entail. But, but it sounded it, interesting. Right? <laughs> and so I looked into it. And I was like, yep, this seems really interesting. And so I reached out to them. And they came back and said, no, you look like you'd be a really good candidate. And so what that meant was that I had to, you know, then go through all the administrative process of applying for a master's program and get reference letters and get all my Canadian undergraduate converted to U.S. undergraduate credits and all of these things. And I was like, that's okay. I have time. They're like, this is May 12th. They're like, actually, our next intake is June 1st. I was like, Um, and so we worked really, I worked really closely with them and with the, everything in, in academia has to be done by snail mail. Like all your transcripts have to be sent in sealed envelopes from the, like it was a lot of process. I've done all um, of that, right. When I moved to uh, US the same way, like yes. when I wanted to go to school and I'm like, 
Oh my gosh. It's such a cumbersome process for anyone that has not done it before, especially if you're in between countries. If anything needs change, that's what needs change. That would be a great idea. Let's take that to the 2020 year of digital processes. Right. You can actually, you can actually, let me help you out. You can actually send things securely digitally now. Exactly. Like I don't have to send them through DHL and wait three months later, whatever, especially sending it to the other side of Romania, making sure that somebody's actually receiving it. Yeah. No, it's like, it is bananas. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. And the thing is like, there's lots of great institutions in the world and there's lots of really smart people who run into this, these blocks, right. Where you can't change things. And so, you know, we can send people to, to talk at a conference with almost no trouble anywhere in the world, but we can't get them into take a class that they want to pay for to learn more so that they can be better. I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just, it's, it's, it's very, it's very I agree. It's unbelievably archaic, but now I'm in the program. I'm halfway through, finished a year. It's great I'm learning a ton of stuff. And it's really the one of the best parts is there's only one other person, Kevin, who does events. Everybody else does other things. So they're in the military. They work for NASA. Yeah. They teach gifted children. They work in pharmaceutical marketing. Uh, the, you know, it's just there's con- you know some people who work consulting, doing this the, the change leadership work who are just expanding their knowledge. So every class is a whole bunch of different perspectives. And you can always connect them back to what you're doing, but it's just so much fun to hear things that are not what you do every day. And I love it. Super fun. I I can imagine how exciting that is, especially if you think this point of view that I have, again, with like a heavy event background, it must be the right and only point. And then to hear, to be open to hear all the other ones and be like, I just expanded my horizon by hearing what everybody else has to say, bringing their own experience and expertise into the conversation. That's fascinating. I like that idea. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. Find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable. Go to trifunevents.com. But turning really quick the conversation back into uh, piggybacking actually what we were talking about event design, I wanted to have you give your own version of what intentional event design is and why it doesn't matter, especially in our current world. And on the same topic, I'm going to try to melt it all in one question, super long question. What changes have you seen happening over the years within this huge topic of intentional event design and what changes still need to happen? for the best? Oh, so much. Okay. So intentional event design for me is really simple. It just means that you're people-centric and purpose-driven. So we're thinking about, and it doesn't matter, digital, hybrid, live, doesn't matter. Think about who's coming, why they're coming, 
and the organization that you're hosting it for and why they're hosting a meeting. So people-centric, purpose-driven. And I think that we, lots of times people are doing meetings and you're like, well, what's this meeting for? And they're like, I don't know. How many meetings have you attended without an agenda? How many meetings have you gone to and thought, I wonder what we're trying to accomplish here today on a small scale. And then you take that to a conference size. You really need to be thinking about who's coming. Why are they coming? Why are they there? And for me, events should be especially now more than ever. And this is where I think we really need to get stronger is if somebody is taking the time and making the effort to come to where we are, then the content better be amazing and the opportunities for networking better be like off the charts. And we should, we have to connect those two things. And so we did a series of events the last three and a half years. Um, I worked with Site Global, um, so Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. And we moved all the events, moved all the events, moved all the events. We started doing live events last fall. Omicron happened. So we had to shift all of the events this spring. And what that meant was looking at every event and being like, okay, so like, what are we doing here? And why are we moving it and working with all of our partners? And we did three very, very different events, but each of them was really designed to be unique to their space and to the people who were coming. So the first one, we were in Switzerland, where there was 50 people from 18 countries. Two people were there from Poland, and it was within the first two weeks of the war breaking out in Poland, or in Ukraine. And, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. and they were bringing in refugees. One, one of them had refugees in her home, and they were very active in that process. Both of them said, we are going to go to this event still, because we, they use the analogy of putting on your own oxygen mask first, because we know that we're going to leave here richer for this experience. We trust that you're going to leave us richer for this experience and that we need nourishment so that we can go back and continue to nourish others. So special for somebody to have that kind of trust in what we were creating. And we did, you know, because it's such a small group, we were able to create really events that had very rich dialogue that had more, I don't want to misuse this word, but we could create more intimate conversations because you were in a very safe space to do so. Mm -hmm. These are not people who knew each other. Some people knew each other, but a lot of people didn't know each other. But we created every touch point so that it was all about developing interactions and dialogue. There wasn't a general session where somebody just talked to you. It was all about creating dialogue spaces. And we did things where we did one of the first things that we did was to, that was sort of a formal educational event was called Wine Listening. So it's a group of out of Italy that has programmed 2 million wines and paired them with music. And so we had a woman, Kimarazzi, come in um, with them and walk us through an experience of tasting wine in a beautiful winery up above Lake Geneva but with headsets on and walking through sort of how we use our senses. And so I am sort of blindfolded for the first wine tastings. Wow. And, and I knew that this was going to, I knew this was going to happen. And I was still fooled by it, um, <laughs> which was that the first two wines were exactly the same, but paired with different music. And so then he, the taste changes based taste on what you're listening. Interesting. And that's back to our brain arrived at the event. <laughs> our brain processes all of our senses different, you know, in very specific ways. And when you, when you tasted it with different music, it did actually taste different. And people talked about it tasting different and how it tasted different. So it wasn't, you know, in anyone's imagination, it was actually... No, it's it's something that we know about music in general. Like you can listen to the same track and you could have one experience versus a completely different experience and the music has not changed. Yeah. 
And then if we just look at, so I'm just going to talk about how we, I'm going to talk about how we intentionally used headsets in different ways. So at that event, we used headsets in that specific way was to listen to music and, and try it with wine. And I'll tell you when I knew that this event was successful was on the last day, about half of the group had gone up to do a glacier experience. And the, there was going to potentially a weather call. Well, they made the call that, yes, we could go and do the experience. So everybody went off. They got to the base of the mountain and they canceled the experience. And so the entire group, and this is all meeting planners, you know, it's all people yeah. who do what we do every day. So the, there are worse critics usually as well, um, <laughs> which is fair, you know, so that's, you know, we know that going in, but they all had to leave. And so they went out for lunch and I never heard about it. I didn't get one text. I didn't get one DM. I didn't get one phone call. I found out about it at six o'clock that night. And you know what? They said, we had a wonderful lunch. We had a great time talking with each other and it didn't matter. Because they yeah. made those connections over all those few, you know, days that they spent together and yeah. they didn't feel like they were missing on anything just by the fact they had each other. Exactly. That's so That was super cool. And then we had the next event where we used headsets was we went, um, we did a program in Beaver Creek and it's a, that's an area in Colorado that's, you know, fresh air, outdoors, lots of, you know, it's a beautiful event. And in this group's about 120 people. So but I thought, you know, we're in a different time. We're in a time where people need self-care. They need to know it's okay to practice self-care. They need to have some tools for that. And especially as we ramp up and everyone's so busy, everyone's just, and everyone who's working is drowning a little bit. And so we had a woman named Jessica Broadbeck came, come in for the first part of the night. And so she, at the opening general session, right before the welcome reception, did a session on productivity and flow and talked about breathing and just talked about some of the work, you know, that we can do not even practicing yoga, but just stopping and practicing breathing. And we did a couple of examples of trying those things and just, you know, clearing your mind a little bit and how you can use that into sort of even, even five minute increments between tasks in a day and just start fresh. And by the end of it, again, the headsets came out, people had them on, there was some really great music playing and everyone did about five to six minutes of gamma breathing with music playing and focused on that. And then they finished and they were just like, what just happened? Like everyone was refreshed, everyone was relaxed, they were focused and they went into the welcome reception with something interesting to talk about, but also in a much better frame of mind than they would have arrived after a travel day, answering their emails, doing all of those things. And with a tool of how they can go back and just with five minutes or two minutes of just stopping to breathe, reframe their day. So that was really cool. And then we did our global conference in Dublin and there we used headsets for creating um, and we had done it previously in Vancouver in 2020, but we created an industry stage space, but out in the foyer. So instead of being in a general session room, you just, there was a 150 seats set out with headsets on them. And there was a speaker on the stage and you just could sit down and put on a headset. So from a venue perspective, you now have a new breakout <laughs> from a, you know, from a participant perspective, maybe you were on a phone call and you missed going into a session. You don't want to walk into the back of a room. Well, it's easy to just stop and sit down and listen to a session. So it was just really, and from a presentation perspective, you're out where there's natural light and people are focused on you. So for, as a presenter, fantastic experience. So when we look at thinking about how we can intentionally put elements in, you don't have to use them the same way. Think about how you can use them to suit each group to create the most rich experience. So I think, does that answer some of the question? 
Absolutely. Well, I think you have actually not only touched on that, but way more <laughs> on top of it, as you know, basically in all of the things that you were saying, what I my takeaway is that creativity is a common denominator in event planning and we must use it. It's not just technology, it's also creativity. How do we apply what we have, the tools we have to enhance our experiences? And honestly, I love this idea of the hazard that all the examples you've given, because while I haven't experienced all of them and it sounds amazing especially the wine pairing <laughs> it sounds like i have to go to italy for that one um no, you can do it virtually <laughs> or that there you go uh, i've seen the headset now is a common use in most of the sessions of most of the events conferences that you go to especially if they're an industry conference that is basically now the norm and it's amazing to just hear where this whole thing came from and how it turned out to be something that a seriously is taken as an option and applied, you know, for our in-person experiences. And one question that I have, because it sounds like you've touched so much on how we design events that provide this striking creativity to the event team in a way that is attention grabbing, but it's also strengthening the audience engagement and increasing the, the chance of them remembering the event, remembering their experience in the first place. And my question is now, why does this matter? And I know you're huge on why questions. This is, yes. you know, the premise of most of the, even the, the book itself. It's like, why does it matter? Why do we need to do it? Why give it, you know, a thought? So I think, so why is because meetings and events that are, that are held that are in, again, in any medium, but especially live events, if people are going to make the investment, the organization is going to spend tens of thousands to tens of millions of dollars to bring people together. They need to know why they're doing it. They need to know what the purpose is. Do they need people to walk away feeling personally enriched, professionally enriched? Do they need them to walk away with specific pieces of knowledge that they're going to take back into their own markets so that they can sell more? Do they need to have something so that they feel better on an incentive trip, as an example? Do they need to create more loyalty for their organization? When we look at what we're doing right now with um, in my now my new role with IMAX, you know, as head of program, why do people come to that? Are they coming for education? Are they coming for the networking? Are they coming for the meetings you're doing on the trade show floor? Are they coming to see all of their friends from around the world? Yes, 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 yes. So how do we then balance out the time that you have over those three days? Or the four days with Smart Monday? And how do people integrate programs around them? Why why are people integrating programs around them? Why is there the EIC awards and site night and MPI's rendezvous? Because they know that's where people want to be. And why do we want to be there? We want to be there because it's where our global industry is going to be connected. And when we can do that again face-to-face, -face, we just saw it in Frankfurt at the end of May. There hadn't nobody had been together there since 2019. You know, the three years is a massive gap to not be at one of your sort of core anchor events for where you're getting that education and connection and having those meetings that are going to help you figure out where you are, where you're going and how you're going to get there. And so when you look at why, it's why are you meeting? You need to understand that. And then we need to build things that are going to cater to those to those needs. So it's really thinking about, you know, and with 
something like education on a trade show floor, you're right, we'll have headsets there. But it's also thinking about what's the education that we need right now. There's dozens of people that we will have to say, no, thank you. It's just not the right fit right now, who are amazing presenters, who we know are good presenters, who we know have great messages, but they're just not the messages that our particular audience needs right at this time. And so it's a team of people looking at what that is and what's the best way to do it. And then, you know, fortunately for me, they've, you know, invited me in to be part of this team to help look at what the design is of these different spaces and how we can create those best experiences and to do some speaker coaching and put together things in a different way and to work with an amazing team to do that. I mean, they've been doing this for 20 years. They know how to do it, but to be able to continue to work together and to enrich that experience. And that's, again, when you go back to that very first thing we talked about, collaboration, Mm -hmm. you know, it is a collaborative process to create the best in-class experience for people. But we need to be doing that with every event, making sure that you're bringing together the right people to put together the right kinds of programs and then deliver them in a way. And then, of course, right now we have our great resignation, our great talent shortage, all of these things that we're talking about that are very real, very real issues in our industry. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at that team that you're bringing together to collaborate with you might have to be a little bit smaller. So you really have to make sure you're getting the best people in to help create those experiences. Absolutely. And as we learn what it's like to, you know, live this new reality of back to in-person events, a reality that needs to embrace the fact that we have not yet nailed it. Even the best of us, we're still humans. We keep learning. We make mistakes. And during that humbling process of getting back up, we need to support each other. We need to figure out what the balance is between work, what the balance is between wellness, mental, physical, emotional. So the question to you is, what does it mean? as we move into a endemic world and this is the first time I hear this word so I'm like I'm gonna make note of it and why do we need to be back to in-person events in the first place so I think that that's a good distinction so you know living in a pandemic meant we were basically at home so we had to stay at home because there was a global pandemic that could kill people and that's real people many 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 people have been lost very quickly unreasonably quickly because of a virus. So endemic just really means that we've moved from where it is something that keeps us at home, essentially, but it's something that we still need to live with. So and we all still know people who are getting COVID. Um, We all know people who are living with it, you know, and you can get it anywhere, you know, so the difference right now is that we have, you know, we have vaccinations, we have many people who've had it. So we're getting to a level of herd immunity that is going to mean that we can now go back out and live with like we live with flu and colds and all kinds of other things um, from around the world. So it's about how do we meet comfortably and safely and feel psychologically safe. And I think that I whole idea of, you know, I, I don't, I, I think that when we say we're making mistakes, we also live in a world where a mistake is a bad thing. And I think the mm-hmm. one thing that I've mostly learned in our master's program, we have a 30 a day mistake quotient. So we're all going to make mistakes. We're going to make them continually. It's how do we respond to those? Mm-hmm. And also that, you know, somebody said when they were growing up uh, that they were every day they would come home from school and, you know, they would at d- the dinner conversation would be, you know, what did you fail at today? Mm-hmm. And what did you learn from? That is not how most of us are raised, which means most of us are raised in fear of ever making a mistake. We're going to make mistakes all the time. We're going to leave the house with two different shoes on. Maybe you've never done that. I have. You're going to have your kids all the time. (laughs) 
you know, you're going to, you know, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Just even before we leave the house, you're going to say something that's wrong. You're going to, you're going to do something that hurts somebody's feelings and you don't know it. You're going to then find out that you hurt their feelings and then it's going to feel like a mistake. So the best that we can do is take the best information that we have, own up to the times when we need to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, or, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. What can we do now? And use those experiences and those moments to continue to grow from it. You know, when there's, you know, there's gonna be very, very big, bad picture things that can go wrong. We're probably not going to have a lot of internal control over. And we really, you know, need to look at, you know, when we're doing our events, thinking about the the real risks that are out there in the world from, you know, from viruses to active shooters, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But those are real risks that we need to think about and to bring in the right people who can help us manage those big real risks and to understand what we're going to have to do should we something like that happen. But most of the mistakes are, oh, the rooms, you know, when people be like, oh, my room wasn't ready and four o'clock was the check-in time. Seriously? Is that actually a problem? (laughs) You know, so we have a lot of... I think I know which event you're referring to. (laughs) It could be be any event. I'm not even referring to any one event. It can be any event. You know, so there's things that are going to be real, real problems. And there's going to be things that are going to be not real problems. Yeah. But what we have to be doing is thinking about our a plan from the beginning. So my plan is to make sure that, again, people-centric, purpose-driven. If we want to include CSR activities, that could be purpose-driven. If we want to make sure that we stay within a certain expense budget, that could be purpose-driven. If we want to make sure that people leave with XYZ messages, that's definitely purpose-driven. And we want to make sure that people are safe and comfortable. That doesn't mean that we're not going to challenge them. You know, yesterday, my daughter came home for like overnight, basically. And, you know, so her idea of doing something fun is going bouldering. So we went to a rock climbing gym. I've done this exactly twice and I'm not good at it and I don't like heights, but so that doesn't, but you know, it's not about being good at something. It's about trying something. And so when we get into our events, you know, there's lots of things I I will try. I will try almost anything, but I won't, I'm not going to erase everything that's been done in an event before and do everything from scratch. But if there's something I really want to try that I believe is going to work, I will die on that hill of, you know, testing out a new way of doing something try it, generally prove that it works because I've done all of the research to understand how people will react to situations. An escape room isn't for everybody. Bungee jumping isn't for everybody. That's okay. So it's about figuring out how, you know, we talk about personalizing events, but it's figuring out what the range is that people can work within that's going to push them a little bit. We say we want events to be worthwhile and transformative. Well, you don't transform by doing exactly the same thing exactly the same way, ever. Yeah, and you have to be willing to engage in something like that that might push a little bit your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and so if we can push their comfort zone, but do it in an environment that they know that, that, that their primary safety is being taken care of, then we have the opportunity to start to look at some transformative behavior. When people leave and they feel that they've had a little shift inside of them, you know, those are the events you're like, that was worthwhile. Absolutely. So well, this was that. such a fantastic conversation to hear. I'm so happy that we got to touch on so many I know. different things. Thank you for sharing from your experience. I learned wisdom that obviously over the years is there regardless if you want it or not. <laughs> In closing, what is one piece of advice you have for maybe any event planner out there, manager, producer that would be helpful for them as they plan their very next event? 
stay curious. Just keep looking for things that you want to try. Keep looking for, keep talking to people about things that they've tried. And there's so many, so many avenues to be curious. Listening to podcasts exactly like this, where you're having these really rich and interesting conversations with people. So thank you so much for having me. And well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining me and for sharing all your insightful tips and tricks that you've shared so far. Where can our audience connect with you? If they want to learn more about you, if they want to see what you're doing next, if they want to get the next edition of Intentional yeah. Event Design. Right? Well, since my blog is woefully behind, we won't go there. I'm e- really easy to find on LinkedIn. I Nobody else is to hear ending. And I'm always happy to connect with people. Just let them, just let me know that this is where you found me. Well, thank you for being part of this episode and I'm super excited to get it out in the air. Thank you friends for joining us and listening, for staying tuned all the way till the very end. Do stay around for our next episode airing out. Thank you, Tahira. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Events Demystified podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it, rate it, and share it with other event professionals that could benefit from it. Connect with us on social at Events Demystified Podcast. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. If you'd like to learn more about Tree Fan Event Services and find out if we're a good fit in supporting your event, can we help your event be successful with a 20-minute free consultation? Link in the episode's notes. Thanks for tuning in.